Good morning. Wasn't that a beautiful song? You know, the fire is not very comfortable, is it? When we go through the fire of God's trials, it's not comfortable for us, but God has an end result that he's going to bring us through the fire, through the time, and through the things we go through, and he's going to present us just like gold. That's what Job said. When the Lord has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And he will do that for us. And we're thankful. That was a beautiful song, Jenny. Thank you very much. We praise God for it. Shall we just open in prayer? Father, we are so thankful for what you are doing in our lives. We thank you that you never give up on us. You have a plan for us. And we pray that we will live for you, Lord, all the days of our life, that we will have a good testimony, a good witness, a good character and reputation in this world, Lord. And so we just pray that you will lead us and guide us by the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would hide me, Lord, behind the cross. We pray that you'll take the words and impress them on our hearts today and help us to apply them in our lives. We ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. How many are familiar with Bill and Gloria Gaither? Just raise up your hand. Familiar with Bill and Gloria Gaither. They're a godly couple. And they not only are excellent singers and songwriters, and, but they're excellent Christians. And they've set a godly example over the years. Think of all the people they've touched. They wrote a song, He Touched Me. Young and older and how they bring all these older musicians and singers back together and have special programs and so forth. They're a wonderful couple. And we used to go and hear their concerts when they were here in the area. And they're a blessing. Well, I, I read a story about them that is really interesting. And I don't know that anybody ever knew this story before. But in his book, he wrote, I Almost Missed the Sunset. Bill Gaither tells the story that he and Gloria had been married for a few years and they were both teaching school in Alexandria, Indiana. And they were looking for a piece of land that they could buy and, and start a home and start a family. And they were looking for an open piece of land. And they noticed south of town there was a beautiful spot that was just right. It was perfect. And it was owned by a retired banker by the name of Mr. Yule. Perfect for Christmas, right? Mr. Yule. Mr. Yule was 92 years old now, but still alive and kicking. And he owned a lot of land in that town, including the very spot that Bill and Gloria really liked. So Bill decided to go and talk to Mr. Yule. And so he went to the bank where Mr. Yule was. So he was retired at 92, but he still went into the bank. And there he was at the bank. And he had his bifocals on and he was reading. And Bill introduced himself to him and he asked him if he would sell the land to him because they'd like to, to buy it. And hardly even looking up, he, he said this. He says, not selling, he said pleasantly. I promised to it to a farmer for grazing. I know, but we teach school here and thought maybe you'd be interested in selling it to us so that we could have a home here and settle in this area. Then he looked up and he said, what'd you say your name was? Gaither, Bill Gaither. Hmm, any relation to Grover Gaither? Why, yes, sir, he was my granddad. Mr. Yule put down his paper and removed his glasses and he said, interesting, Grover Gaither, he was the best worker I ever had on my farm. Full day's work for a full day's pay. So honest. So what do you say you wanted? I told him again, and he said, well, let me do some thinking on it. You come back and see me 
and we'll see what we can do. So Bill went back about a week later and he saw Mr. Yule again. And Mr. Yule says, you know, I had that property appraised. 15 acres appraised. Oh boy, Bill is thinking this could be a lot of money. And so Mr. Yule says to him, he says, how does $3,800 sound to you? Would that be okay? Now, if that was per acre, Bill said, I would have had to come up with nearly $60,000 to buy that property. I repeated 38000 Yep, 15 acres for $3,800. Bill Gaither knew that property was worth about three times that price. He readily accepted it. And three decades later, his son, he and Benji were walking down through that property. And he said, Benji, you've had this wonderful place to grow up through nothing that you've done. But because of the good name of a great granddad, you never met. There's a lot that goes into having a good name, a good name, a good character, a good reputation. I really appreciated what we were saying about Vince and Cindy. And Bill was sharing personally about Vince. And you know, when you're a godly Christian and you have a reputation, people know about it. We have a reputation. We have a testimony before people we work with, people in our neighborhoods, people we go to school with. They know about our lives. They see us every day. They hear us every day. And our testimony, our reputation is so critical to the communication of the gospel. Because if our lives are not living up to the gospel, we can't preach the gospel. People won't listen. People say all the time, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And so the Lord wants us to have that kind of character. And so I ask you this morning, what is your most prized possession that you have other than your salvation? And I would say it should be your testimony. Your testimony, your reputation should be so valued because the Lord has given us so much. He saved us. He's changed our lives. You know, before we're saved, our reputation wasn't very good. Our testimony wasn't very good. In fact, it was pretty bad in many cases. Mine was very bad. Yours? But when the Lord saves us, He gives us a new life. And our life really begins when we get saved and we're born again. And then He gives us a new testimony, a new reputation. You know, they say in life, your, your reputation precedes you. And if you have a good reputation, it goes before you and opens doors. But if you have a bad reputation, that also can precede you and can close doors. Yes, a lot of people, their reputation precedes them. It goes before them. Other people's reputation follows after, either good or bad. May the Lord help us to have this kind of reputation. Our subject today is, the title of our message is, Our Reputation in the World. Our Reputation in the World. The dictionary defines the word reputation as the estimation in which a person or thing is commonly held, whether favorable or not, character in the view of the public, the community, etc., repute, and then it says a good name. Grover Gaither had a good name, and because his godly character was shown to that man, he said, here, you buy it. Buy it for three times less than it's worth. Yes, because the man had, the grandfather had lived such a life 
before him. And I really believe that we can leave behind a legacy in life where people that know and associate with us, if we have a godly testimony, they will be blessed now and into the future as well. So may the Lord help us. Let's turn this morning to Proverbs, book of Proverbs, chapter 22 and verse 1. I was reading the book of Proverbs the other day and I was going through it and I was so enjoying it. And I came to this verse and it just stopped me right there. And I said, wow, Lord, what a verse. And it's Proverbs 22.1. It says in the New King James Version, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor than silver or gold. You know, you can't buy a good reputation. I mean, if you could, then rich people would always be the best people. They'd buy a reputation. You can't buy it. You can't buy a testimony. You have to earn it. You have to work for it. You have to build it up. And it takes a long time to build up your reputation and your testimony before the unsaved. And the Lord wants us to do it. But you know, it takes a long time to build up a reputation, but it takes a very short time to lose it. You can lose it in a heartbeat. You can lose it in an instant. If your life has a failure, it has a breakdown in it in front of people, it can just mar and scar your testimony. And the Lord wants us to have a strong testimony. The New Living Translation has a great rendering of this verse. And it says, Choose a good reputation over great riches, being held in high esteem, Better than silver or gold. Yes, that's what the Lord wants us to do. And it's a challenge. When I was reading this, I got very convicted. And studying this, I got very convicted. And it's not directed toward anybody here. It's directed to me. And the lesson that I am learning. And the three things that the Lord wants to show us this morning on how to have this good reputation is, number one, a good reputation should be coveted. In other words, it should be desired. Number two, it should be cultivated. It has to be maintained and it has to be developed and, and, and continued. And number three, it has to be consistent. We can't just start off well, have a good testimony, have a good reputation and all of a sudden hit a bad patch and get off the track. No, he wants us to continue strong all the way to the end. And by doing that, we will bring glory to the Lord. So let's look at the first point this morning. It should be coveted. It should be desired. Our testimony, our reputation, and our character is on the line every single day. And I like what Bill, Jim Hyde was mentioning in the Bible memory class the other day, and he was mentioning, I think, in a, in a devotion he gave too. As Christians, we have to bring our A game every day. We can't slough off and say, well, today I'm not going to really... Uh, consider my testimony, our words, our actions, our behavior in front of people, both saved and unsaved, is extremely important. That's what the Lord wants from us. And do you know that based on my behavior and my way of living, people will either think highly of the Lord Jesus Christ or they'll think lower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's big responsibility, isn't it? To carry the name of Christ, as soon as we call ourselves a Christian, as soon as we let them know at work or at school or in our neighbors that we're Christians, all of a sudden the microscope is going to be on us. They're going to be watching everything we do. They're going to be listening to everything we say. Or they say, I've heard of Christians. There's a lot of hypocrites. And they're going to say, are you living it? 
They're going to watch us or they're going to see. And if you've been a neighbor for some, with somebody maybe for years and years and you have that testimony built up, they say, yeah, I know that Vince and Cindy, they go to church every Sunday morning. I see them drive off to church and then they go to Bible study on, and they go to Monday night and they go to Wednesday and year after year people watch and then all of a sudden they're going to ask you, where, where do you go on these times? Why are you so happy? Why, why doesn't it seem to bother you like it bothers me or us? And, and, and then we have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That it's not because of us that we have this life. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. He saved us. He's given us a new life. He died for us. And we can share our testimony. Yes, that testimony is coveted. We have to covet it so much. And yet there's stories, you read them all the time in the newspaper, you see them on TV, you hear about it on the internet, and you ever notice when something goes on the internet and it goes viral, right? They call it going viral. As soon as something's on there, and a lot of times it's bad, it goes viral, goes way out, goes out to the United States, all over the world it can. Reminds me of two men in the 1980s. Some of you are too old, too, too young, I should say, to remember, but there were two men in the 80s who had great ministries for the Lord. They, they were televangelists. They were preachers. They had big churches. And they were like on the top of the Christian world at that time. And these two men fell. They fell. They sinned against God. They brought the shame and testimony on the, on the Lord. And these two men were Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger. Some of you may have remembered their names. But they caused so much damage. Their lives crumbled. Their families crumbled. Their ministries crumbled. And it was so sad. But worse, worse than that, it dragged the testimony of the Lord through the mud. And we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want my testimony to be strong in such a way as to point people to the Lord in a good way and not push them away. It's like Mike sometimes says, there's two things. We can either push people closer to Christ or we can push them further away. And it's our desire to have a good testimony and a good reputation before them. So we push them toward the Lord. That's what we want to do. But it's a big responsibility. On Wednesday night, Adel was talking about two godly servants of the Lord, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And these two men had a good reputation. They had a good character and such a way that Paul would send them on missions to go and serve. If he didn't feel that they had a good testimony or a good character, or a good reputation, he wouldn't have sent them. He would have chosen somebody else. If we want to be chosen by the Lord and we want him to use us to serve him, we have to live it. We have to live the Christian life in such a way as to be a blessing. Adel was mentioning also on Wednesday about the first deacons. The first deacons of the church were in Jerusalem and there were seven of them chosen. Seven men. And it says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 23 a little bit about these seven men who were chosen. It says this, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now you ask, what business did they appoint these deacons to do? Did they give them a great ministry of preaching? No. Did they tell them to teach the young people? No. 
Did they say we're going to send you on a missionary journey across the world and bring the good news? No. Your mission, deacons, the first seven men, deacons, their mission was to wait on tables. They waited on tables. There were widows and the widows needed to have food. And so they needed to serve the widows there. And so the first thing the original deacons did was serve tables so that it would free up the apostles to preach the word and teach the word there in Jerusalem. And so it's amazing. And they did this task, which many people might consider a menial task. To them, it wasn't a menial task. And because they did it with all their heart and established that testimony and that character, then God used them in a great way. And two of those deacons are very well known because Stephen was the first martyr. He went and preached the gospel And he was martyred. And then the other one was Philip. And he was called Philip the Evangelist. And he went off preaching the word. And he had seven daughters who became deaconesses, as it were. They were uh, serving the Lord too. And so these deacons served tables. And they did it willingly. And whatever the Lord asks us to do. It may be a small task. It may be a big task. But if we do it with all our heart, that develops a reputation and a character. So people say, boy, we know we can count on that person. We know that they're going to do it. I like it when somebody says it's as good as done. If you give somebody that task, it's as good as done. You don't even have to check on it. It's going to be done and it's going to be done well. And that's what the Lord wants us to do because he wants us to be a testimony before the unsaved and before the the saved, especially the unsaved who are watching us. If you look at Colossians chapter four and verse five, he talks about it there where Paul is writing to the Colossians and he said, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Who are those outside? Outside the church. Those who were the unbelievers. They were the people that they came into contact with outside. And he says, walk in wisdom toward them. You know, sometimes we talk so much we get ourselves into trouble. We have to be careful. Sometimes it's better not to say anything than to say the wrong thing. We have to be careful. But when the Lord gives us an opportunity to say something and we say it for the Lord, he'll strengthen it. He'll use it. He'll empower it. And that's what happened with these Colossians. Right now we're celebrating Christmas and we're celebrating all this month of December and especially December 25th was the birthday of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he was born into the world, he was a little baby. He was a little baby and that little baby had to grow up to become a man. And he grew up and he didn't start his ministry until he was 33 years old. And he went about serving the father, preaching the word, teaching the word, healing, encouraging people. And then he went to the cross and he died for us. Well, as he grew up and became a young man, a teenager and so forth, Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 gives us a little insight about the life of the Savior as he grew up there in Nazareth. And it says in Luke 2.52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. Wouldn't that be great if that could be said about you? Could be said about me? He's grown up in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. That's a challenge. But to do it, we have to have a good testimony. We have to have a good character. We have to have a good reputation. We have to be good messengers for the Savior. So the question is today, is that your desire to have that kind of reputation, to have that kind of testimony that people know where we stand and we stand there and we don't compromise? 
And when somebody asks us what we believe, we tell them. They may not like the answer, but we tell them. We share with them. We have to covet it. We have to desire it. Oftentimes we think of the word covet. We don't like it because in the Bible it talks about covetousness as desiring the things of the flesh, desiring the things of the world and coveting sin and so forth. But covet in and of itself is not a bad word if you covet the right things. And you say, Lord, I covet that kind of testimony, that kind of life for you. I desire it. I want it more than anything else. I'd rather have a godly Christian life than money, fame, or anything this world has to offer. That should be our desire. Secondly, he wants us to cultivate it. Not only to covet it, but he wants us to cultivate it. Mike is a great farmer. Did you know Mike Hyde is a great farmer? He has grown in his backyard. He's got tomatoes. He's got all kinds of different vegetables growing. And, and they eat from the, from the things and they turn out really, really good. He's become a farmer. Adel really likes that because Adel eats mostly all vegetables. Not exclusively, but mostly vegetables. And so they're very healthy. And so Mike has cultivated in his backyard some wonderful things. And it's a great thing to do when you can have your own garden and your own uh, whatever you have. I tried it myself back in 1976 in my great uncle Albert and Irvin's backyard. I planted some corn and I was so thrilled. I planted this corn and I was so thrilled with it. I said, we're going to get corn because I love corn on the cob, right? We all do, right? So I planted the corn and guess what happened? The freeze of 1976. We almost had snow that year in, in December and it just, it just killed my corn off and I haven't tried it since. I haven't tried to be, but I really appreciate those who do grow and cultivate these things. It's very important. And our testimony is like that. It has to be cultivated. We have to plant it. We have to cultivate it. We have to maintain it and build it up. And when we do that, the Lord can use it for the glory of God. Someone said it takes a very short time to lose a good reputation, but a long, long time to get it back. And if you lose your reputation, if you lose your testimony, if it fails, it's going to be very bad. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there were people that started off poorly and they finished, though, well. There are some like that, right? There were others that started off good and they ended up bad, like King Asa that Rajiv spoke about last week. He ended off bad, diseased in his feet, going to the physicians, not trusting the Lord. That's not good either. But thank God for those who started well, who maintained it and finished strong like the Apostle Paul and many others in the Bible. And that's the kind of life the Lord wants us to have. So we have to start well, we have to maintain it, and we have to finish strong. And when we do that, we will be blessed. When I think of somebody who started off well, maintained it, and finished strong, I think of Samuel the prophet. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, and verses 15 and 16, we have this, a couple of verses on the life of Samuel. Now remember who Samuel's mother was. She was Hannah. She was childless. She prayed for a son there at the temple and Eli thought she was drunk and she wasn't. She was just praying with lip, lipping her prayers. And so he told her, go your way and you're going to have your request. Well, she went, she got pregnant, she gave birth to the son Samuel and she could have easily said, thank you, Lord, for giving me this son. But she had promised to give him back to the Lord, to lend him to the Lord. And she did it and she showed up and you can imagine how shocked it was when Eli saw Samuel there. Here he is. He's now yours. 
You're going to raise him. You're going to take care of him here in the temple. He's going to grow up here because the Lord gave me this son. And because the Lord gave her that son and she gave him back to him, he gave Hannah many more sons and many more daughters. But Samuel grew up and his whole life was consecrated to the Lord. And it says here, and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. I love the word all. It's inclusive. He did it all his life. He served the Lord all the way with all his strength, with all his heart. His life and his ministry. And later on, when the Israelites demanded a king, give us a king like the other nations, Samuel said, why? The Lord is your king. Why do you want us to have a king? And then later on, when he was commenting to the people, he says, which one of you have I ever swindled? Have I taken advantage of, defrauded? And he lists all the different things. They said, no, you never have. You've never done any of that. Your sons, though, are not following in your footsteps. And so they put blame on his sons, but not on Samuel. His character, his reputation had been so developed over the years that they could find nothing in Samuel at all that would be bad. Yes, the Apostle Paul, when he was unsaved, he had a reputation of a, of a persecutor of the church. He even put Christians in prison and even killed them. But when he got saved, the Lord gave him a new testimony a new reputation, and he became known as an apostle to the Gentiles who went and served the Lord and gave all that he had. Next week when we have Scripture memory class, we're going to be on the verse in 2 Timothy 4, 7, which said, where Paul at the end of his life says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so because of his strength, he, his reputation and his character is there for us to learn from. We say, well, I can never measure up to the Apostle Paul. There's no way. But God doesn't expect you to be an Apostle Paul. He doesn't expect you to be like a carbon copy of Adel or anything. But he wants you to be who you are. But he wants you to follow the example of the Apostle Paul and of Adel and other godly men and women. And when we do that, we have that reputation. We have that character. You know, I go to the farmer's market with Adel every Saturday morning and we get fruits and vegetables and everything. And all the farmers know Adel. They all know him and they all love him because he has the love of Christ and he radiates it. And so they look forward to seeing him. And they like how many fruits he buys from them too because he gets a lot of fruit. And then I've been with him at the bank. I've gone follow with him to the bank. We go into the Bank of America branch. They all know him there. They all love him there. Is this a coincidence? Is this a pattern here I'm, I'm finding here? That's how God wants us to be. He wants us to leave a blessing when we go to people. He wants us to, to show the love of Christ and be, have a good character and a good testimony and a good life before others. So, He wants us to have that reputation. And so, I asked myself a few questions and I can ask you these questions too. Some questions. First of all, do I have a reputation for godliness? Do I have a reputation for godliness? Do I have a reputation for sacrifice and unselfishness? Oof, these are challenging. Challenges me. Do I have a reputation among people that I come in contact with of integrity and honesty? That's a challenge every day. Here's another one. Do I have the reputation of keeping my promises and being one that people can count on? 
That's another challenge. Do I keep my word? Another question. Do I have the reputation? Oh, boy, I've stopped. Like Bill Murray used to say years ago. Now you're stopping. You're stopping preaching now and you're starting to meddle now. You're starting to meddle. Okay, well, I'm meddling into my own life here. Do I have the reputation of being on time? Oh, boy. Is that a reputation? That's a reputation God wants us to have, to be on time. Whether it's work, we're pretty good about that because if we're not, we're in trouble, right? But we need to be on time to church. We need to be on time to the studies, different things. Time is so important. Here's another one. Do I have the reputation of being generous? Generous. That's another one that's challenging, to be generous. Do I have the reputation, maybe at work or wherever you go, do you have the reputation of being a hard worker? That's a reputation you want to have, right? And another one is, do you have the reputation of being a good friend? Loyal, stand by you, your friend. These are some of the things that God wants us to develop. So we have to covet it, we have to cultivate it, and then we have to practice it consistently over time. It's very, very important. And we have to be on our guard daily. And that's why it brings us to our third point, which is consistent. Consistent. It's one thing to live Christ for a short period of time. Once in a while, no. He wants us to be consistent every day. That's why it says here in Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. You know, if people realize that, how many would be so quick to go off and buy that lottery ticket, right? To get the riches, they'd say, boy, my character's more important. My reputation's more important than that. Money is important to live, but we need our character. We need our reputation to live right in this world to be a blessing for Christ. It's diligence we need. It's consistency in our walk so that we don't live a double standard. We don't live a double life. Sometimes you meet Christians at work and they use bad words. They tell bad jokes. They, their lives do not speak of what the scripture teaches. And yet they say they're Christians. And it's sad. That's why he wants us to live for him. Are we going to mess up sometimes? Yes. But he wants us to live a good testimony before others. Diligent. A story is told of a waterfall in a rich man's garden, which was beautiful in its construction, but a gardener never turned the water on unless the owner was there. That is very much like the religion that we have in many places today. It's only turned on when someone is there to see it and to applaud it. Our service must be kept, not kept for mere effect and display. Because there is a choice. You can either have a good image or you can have a good reputation. The difference is, image is what you want people to think about you, right? So you only put forth your good things. Your resume, it's all filled, right? But reputation is the way you really are in front of people. And character is the way you are in God's eyes. So these are things that are important. That to be, to have a good reputation and character in God's sight, in the sight of the unsaved, and in the sight of Christians. And when we do that, it's going to be a real blessing. I mean, we looked yesterday, we had a little birthday party, and there were a number of kids there, and they're about seven and four and three, and they're all running around having fun. And Adel made a comment, and it's so true. This is the church of the future, these young ones, right? They're running around, and they're going to grow up, and they're going to take over the church, and they're going to serve the Lord, and they're going to carry on the legacy. So in order for them to do that, 
We have a responsibility to them, don't we? To teach them, to be a godly example, and to live in such a way as they'll want to follow that and carry it on into the future. It's convicting. Yes, it is. It's very convicting. But the Lord wants us to be real and genuine at home. A lot of times people say, well, you know, when I get home, I let my hair down and I just want to be myself. Okay, we do have that sense. But we should not let our behavior at home go off this track. We should be the same way at home, work and church. And we shouldn't just get home and say, well, I can treat my wife or my husband this way and it doesn't matter. It does matter because we have to maintain that reputation in the home, in the home, because the husband knows the wife and the wife knows the husband and the kids are watching that interaction. And it's very important to have that testimony for the Lord in the home. Adel came up and he coined an expression years ago. Bill would remember it too. There's a difference between Christianity and churchianity. Remember that one? The difference between Christianity and churchianity is Christianity, you live for Christ every day in your regular, ordinary, daily life. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, or 366 with leap year. That's what Christianity is all about. It's a change of life that affects our life. Churchianity is, I get up on Sunday, I go to church, I put on the best clothes, I go to church, I put on my best behavior, I look good, I sound good. Churchianity. Then I go and I live any way I want to during the week. That's churchianity. That's not Christianity. That's not why the Lord came. He came to save us. He died on the cross for us. He died in our place to give us eternal life, to change our hearts and our lives. He doesn't want us to go back to the old way of living. He doesn't want to have one day a week live for me and then six you live for yourself. It doesn't work that way. May the Lord challenge us and convict us every day and help us to be consistent. Consistent spiritually. Consistent morally, consistent ethically, it's all important. And the question is, someone once said this, what is, what is more important? He said, what we are is more important than what we say. Our life is the best sermon. And that's so true. The, our life is the best sermon. Another person put it this way, a consistent Christian life is the best interpretation and proof of the gospel. So may the Lord help us to have this desire to have a good reputation, a good character and a good testimony every day to covet it, to say, I want it, Lord. I desire it. I want to live for you. I want people to see you in me. I don't want them to see me. I want to put forth that testimony for you. I covet it. And then secondly, that we not only covet it, but we cultivate it. We do something about it every day. That means to read our word every day, to pray every day and to serve the Lord every day. One thing we, we talked about with regard to Vince and Cindy, I know this for an absolute fact. It's, uh, they pray. They pray for the body of Christ here at church. They pray. And I know Cindy, when Vince goes off to work, she is on her knees praying. And that's the way he wants us to live our life, to have that, that reputation, that character for him. And then finally, to make sure it's consistent daily, every day for the Savior. Do you have that desire? Do you have that desire to, to have that kind of testimony? 
When somebody hears your name, what is the first thing that comes to their mind when they hear your name? That is your, that's the way you are. That's your character. That's your reputation. If it's not a good thing, it can be turned around. But it takes surrender. It takes willingness. It takes giving everything to the Lord. Is that our desire today? That one desire to live for Jesus, to let people see it in our lives, in our words, in our actions, to be a blessing. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the challenge that we've had this morning. And we just pray, Lord, that you will help us to have a good testimony, a good witness, a good character, a good reputation, Lord. Help us to have a good name in this world and help us to bear your name before others and that we can tell others about what you have done for us. Because, Lord, if you hadn't touched us, if you hadn't saved us, we would be no different than the people of this world. But we have something to sing about now. We have something to praise you for because the Lord Jesus died for us on the cross and brought us eternal life. And we just thank you, Father, for the life you've given us. And we pray you'll dismiss us with your blessing. And help us, Lord, to realize how important our testimony is in this world. And so we commit ourselves to you now and pray you'll be with us this week in all that we do. In Jesus' precious name.